the British Chamber of Commerce in Taipei's podcast, hosted by me, Steve Parker. This is a series that brings a fresh perspective to leadership, motivation, and how to succeed by talking to a diverse range of CEOs, business managers, and world-class talent. We also offer some personal tips to help you in your career. Each episode aims to provide a snapshot into the life and philosophy of some of Taiwan's most successful leaders, and to find out more about why leadership matters. We're very lucky today to have John Dennis, who is a representative of the British office in Taipei. I've, been, I've enjoyed working with him over the last six months. Uh, he's a Cambridge graduate. He's uh, been a member of the Foreign Service um, all over the world, and I'm sure he'll allude to some of those postings as he uh, shares with us some of his ideas on leadership. He's um, a Mandarin speaker, a Portuguese speaker, and a very keen Twitter. So, uh, you know, look for him out in the Twitterverse. Thanks for coming here today, John. We really appreciate it. I'm really glad to be here, Steve. Thanks for the opportunity. As you know, we wanted to talk about what makes a good leader. Um, I've seen you in action. I've been in your uh, staff meetings and stuff like that. And I get a sense of you as being kind of very inclusive and very uh, collaborative in your approach. But what, what, what is your idea? What do you think makes a good leader? Well, I think it is certainly those things, inclusion uh, and uh, collaboration. But I think it's more than that. Uh, I, I think it's, I, I've noted a few things down, actually. I think authenticity is really important. I think you need to bring your true self to work. Uh, and if you try and adopt a, 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 a you that isn't you, then I think you'll come a cropper because people will notice. Uh, I think leaders need to be uh, approachable. And I don't mean by that that they need to be at other people's disposal all the time. You must emphatically remain in control of your own, your own diary, your own priorities. But in that, you've also got to make sure that everybody who works for you feels that uh, uh, you take them seriously and that you're prepared to listen to them and their opinions and inputs. Uh, and then the final sort of A that I had noted down is activism. I think leaders, despite that need for collaboration, need actually to be clear what they want. They need to engage. They need to take the decisions. Uh, and that process needs to be prompt and timely because the world doesn't wait for consensus always. I think a final thing, I think leaders need to be kind. And what I mean by that is partly on building on what I've just said, but I think, I think leaders need to be aware of how the requirements that they're laying on other people are affecting those people and they need to present those requirements uh, to people in a way that takes that into account. Those are a few random thoughts. Well, I don't think they're random. I think they're very, very clear. I love this idea of kindness in leadership. And this seems to be something that's coming through um, with a lot of the leaders we speak to recently. This idea of actually, I mean, there's an old song which says, cruel to be kind, but clarity is a form of kindness. People want to understand what they need to do and to be able to get along with it, get on with it. That's, uh, that's absolutely right. Um, and and uh, the leader himself or herself, uh, as much as anyone else, you've got to move on all the time. I think one of the things, if I look at your career, and especially as a career diplomat, John, I mean, you've managed across multiple cultures in multiple locations. Um, and, and also, I mean, maybe this ties in with some of kind of the, the government objectives of diversity and building a diverse team. I'm really interested to learn more about how you as a, 
as a as a diplomat can manage across these diverse teams in so many different locations? Uh, I think it comes through experience and practice. Uh, I think uh, maybe some people do it with a kind of conscious set of rules to apply. I don't think I have done that particularly. But you're right, uh, it's, a, it's a constant challenge. When I joined our diplomatic service, I think there was a much more clear separation in an overseas mission between the people who were in our jargon UK base, the people who were, who were there on postings like me, uh, and the people who we used to call locally engaged, but we now call country-based staff, who even back then were the majority who were doing their particular roles in our overseas missions uh, for a slightly longer period of time. Uh, when I say there was a separation, I don't mean that those people weren't always talking to each other, they were, but I think there was a sort of sense of a different set of management uh, challenges and tools for each group. That is no longer the case, and it hasn't been the case for the last oh, 20 years or so. I think we now try to manage in a much more holistic uh, way, we have to, uh, quite apart from the fact that it's good for people to feel part of a single team. Um, the world out there, as you've already suggested, is changing so fast uh, and in myriad ways that we really need to be confident that in every decision we take, uh, every bit of analysis we do, every decision we take on the basis of that, we're drawing on the very best um, minds and the very best inputs that are available to us. And that means, despite the fact that they might have different terms and conditions of service, there's not much getting away from that when you're bringing people out to a country um, and having to provide them with accommodation on the one hand and employing people who've already got lives established in a country because that's where they live on the other. But even th those differences will never go away. But you still have to manage them as one group, one team. And the same point applies, you know, in a mission... Here, we're, we're fairly uh, straightforward in the sense, you know, we, there's only a smallish number of UK government departments that we, we have people from. Um, some of our bigger missions around the world, and this is sort of a medium-sized one, um, have a myriad of, of people. I mean, they can, be, they can be like mini versions of Whitehall. And the head of mission who is empowered and who is expected to manage the whole of that activity to the... Uh, to uh, and achieve British interests has that sort of diversity to cope with as well. So it's kind of ingrained, I think, is my answer. I mean, with someone like you who comes into a, a location and maybe you're there for what, two, three, four years, um, how, how do you go about building this consensus and this community in such a short period of time? Well, I think if you're lucky, and I've always been lucky, you inherit one. As you know, it's not you're, you're rarely starting completely from scratch. Although, I mean, sometimes you, 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 you occasionally, and I certainly didn't feel this here, but, uh, you know, um, people have occasionally felt it uh, when they've gone to places that it's too established. It's not established on the lines that they want. So I think, I think the answer is you have to be pretty clear from the outset what your own view and vision and take on things really are, what your expectations are of people. Going back to my authenticity point, you know who you are, um, and 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 seek to lead by um, by example. You know, cultivating a sense of engagement or even, dare I say it, sort of fun um, along the way. I think uh, 
one of the things I think about government that sometimes people aren't necessarily as aware of as they should be is that I, I think government has in some ways the luxury to be at the forefront of many new ideas. I see three big changes coming up in the world. I see these, uh, we have a lot of this kind of technologically driven change. They call it, you know, a digital transformation. There's the reinvention of office work. I mean, you and I are sitting here in, in different rooms uh, over the internet talking to each other as a lot of people spend a lot of their time now. And I think the other thing and the other part of this, and this is where I want to talk to you a little bit about this, is the, the emphasis and increased attention on the social and environmental goals. And I know that this is very important to the UK government. Uh, and maybe you could kind of talk a little bit about COP26, but, uh, but also how, how this informs what you do and how you need to lead people in order to get them online with both a mission, uh, but also with change. I, I mean, you're right to say that social and environmental goals are a, a significant part of uh, the UK's kind of international uh, agenda. I think tied in with that, um, you know, is a very strong sense that we in the UK, as well as being influential um, across, uh, you know, numerous organisations and sort of numerous contexts, also have a lot of technology that is uh, uh, relevant to the, the new, well, it's not new, the developing climate change agenda. So I think um, and, and, and you will perhaps have read or your, our listeners will have read uh, also about the UK's uh, ambition to be uh, uh, a science and technology superpower. And I think that is, that is really quite a key element of the, uh, of the wider ambitions of the moment. Climate science, yes, uh, but all sorts of other areas too, such as artificial intelligence, where we feel that the... Um, the research and development base uh, uh, of the UK uh, is extremely well equipped to make an international contribution and to work with uh, the 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 the, the uh, you know the same circles in other in other places, um, including I might say Taiwan. I wanted to come back maybe to you as a as a leader personally. How, how do you keep on top of change? everything is changing all the time. And I, you know, it's hard. I mean, how many books do you have to read? How many papers do you have to read? How many, you know, how many articles do you have? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I tell you, I just do my best, you know, I, I'm sure we would all say that, wouldn't we? Uh, no particular secrets to pass on, but I mean, uh, I, I have a subscription to the, the FT. I have a personally, I have a subscription to the economist. I read both of those on a very regular basis. Um, I'm a halting reader of Chinese, so I try and keep on top of, uh, um, you know, things like the Liberty Times, uh, but also uh, the Taiwan, uh, the Taipei Times as well. Um, and I read a lot of digests of news. Um, but I think you also just need to put yourself in the way in a slightly more random sense of stuff that might just be relevant. And I and so I look at uh, I look at various uh, kind of websites that sort of distill thinking and that sort of thing. But um, there is no easy answer to this. And you're right, you have to fit so much else into the day, including a life, of course. So um, I, I, I do my bring best. up this idea of a life. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of having a life somehow. Um, I mean, one of the things that, you know, I know over the last uh, any number of years, this idea of uh, work-life balance has, uh, you know, been brought up mm. quite often. 
um, it seems to be the the more responsibility you have, the harder it is to actually have a delineation between the job you do and the life that you want to lead. Well, maybe the job is the life that we want to lead, but that clear delineation between, you know, I'm working now or I'm not working now. How do, do you have a process? Do you have something that you go through? Do you have a, you know, does it, <laughs> you know, does it go home and walk the dog and then you're, uh, you're, you're off for the day or, you know, how, how do you create this differentiation if at all you do? Uh, I think my wife probably answered that question more, more emphatically and reliably than I can. And I think what she would probably say is that I have, I have difficulty in, 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 in separating sometimes, but I don't think I'm unique in that. And I think that I, you know, we all need to recognize this need. There undoubtedly is. I mean, if you're, going to, if you're going to do your work properly, you need to be truly refreshed on a regular basis. And that means not just sleep. I mean, that's the most basic thing. But if you try and just do it on the basis of, I don't know, six, seven hours sleep a night, then no. You need real refreshment from other focuses. Um, how you do that in practice, I think varies from person to person. I think the circumstances, which you've already mentioned, Steve, that we've been living in, all of us, for the last uh, however long it's been, year, year and more, have actually made it more difficult in some ways. I don't know how you found it, but I have certainly uh, sensed that. Uh, and so sort of working from home, you know, uh, at least when you're working elsewhere, you can come back and you can sort of treat your journey as a transition. Even if when you get home, of course, you check your first thing you do is you check your phone again. You're somehow in a different place, much more challenging now. And I think rambling answer, I'm afraid, but I think the I think the short one I would give you is that everybody really just has to think very honestly about their own habits and their own needs, really. And I simply, you know, it's a cliche, but there's no one size fits all approach to this. One of the things that have come out recently is a lot of people are actually working from home has, uh, has actually made them working. Uh, they're working far more hours in a day than they would do if they were actually going to an office and closing off. So it's, uh, you know, this working from home is a luxury in some ways, but it's also a uh, it, it's, it's dragging people back into there's no separation, you know. While you're having breakfast, there, you know, your cup of coffee, all of this stuff, it becomes one kind of, uh, you know, one big ball of work in some ways. Uh, I think that is the risk. I would make one final comment, though, and I would say that I think total separation is very difficult to achieve, and I'm not sure how helpful it is, by which I mean, uh, from speaking very personally, um, there are certain times when I'm very definitely not working that I get some sort of, you know, epiphany almost or, uh, you know, insight about work. And the same thing applies in reverse sometimes, actually. And I think you need to be ready for that and you need to be prepared not then to switch your focus instantly to work or, or to, to home, but to sort of have a process whereby you capture those things. Because, in fact, we all, we all, um, we're all the same people. Um, and just as you bring your authentic self to work, I think sometimes you take your authentic working self home too. Uh, and that's, that's healthy. That's healthy as long as it's not allowed to go too far, uh, in my view. 
I think that's a really nice place to kind of finish up, John, with this idea of just maintaining this kind of healthy balance. You, we live, you know, we live to work, we work to live, but somehow we've got to make this whole thing work as a, as a, as a whole. You, you talked about these. You had three A's, as you said. Uh, you talked about this authenticity, which I think is a really nice approach, being the real you when you're leading people. You talked about this approachable quality that a leader has to have. If people are afraid or, or in any way unable to communicate with you, you can't be a leader. I like this idea of activism that you mentioned. Activism as in a proactive approach to leadership. Clarity, as you put it further. The kindness that you alluded to. Um, you know, being kind, but kindness doesn't always necessarily mean just being nice and soft. Kindness can also be a form of clarity and you're allowing people to understand what they need to do is a kind of kindness. This idea of uh, managing change because the world is constantly changing. And I think you're, uh, you're in a job where you are at the forefront of many of those changes. And the last thing you kind of really talked about, I think was this, which I really enjoyed, was this understanding people's circumstances. We often get confused by culture, but I, you brought a great clarity to this for me by just saying, really, all it is is understanding people's circumstances. Um, it, it's been incredible sharing. I really wish we had uh, four or five hours to go through this because clearly we've just touched on some areas. Um, which would warrant longer conversation themselves. But uh, I want to thank you very much for coming in today, John. Uh, it's my very great pleasure, Steve. And I think we've covered a lot of important ground. Thanks for giving me the opportunity uh, once again uh, to offer those few, those few uh, insights. You can listen to this podcast on the ICRT website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for the British Chamber of Commerce in Taipei. You can also check out our social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, or you can head to our website, bcctaipei.com. We'll see you next time on Leadership Matters. Mm-hmm.